Bring it on, Yugi! Alright, it's time to duel! That's a nice attack, but I'm not down yet! You're listening to the Shadow Realm Podcast, brought to you by Bamani Lounge. Alright, what's up guys? This is Henry coming to you with Darnell. This is episode number three of the Shadow Realm Podcast. Darnell, what is up? Just happy to be back for another episode. Give some of the people that fire that they're looking for that amazing content from Bomani Lounge and the Shadow Realm. Just, I'm just here to do it, man. Yeah, well, this is our third episode of the Shadow Realm now, back to back weeks. And I'm pretty happy with how the last episode came out. And we're going to be trying to do these episodes every week from now on in and hopefully give you guys a little bit of an escape, you know. The quarantine's going on, not much real life Yu-Gi-Oh going on, so we all got to step up and do our parts to just try to make this experience as enjoyable as it can be. So that's what Darnell and I are here trying to accomplish. So first of all, before we get into the show, Darnell, how was your week since our last episode? My week has been terrifying because I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. Not only do we have to deal with the coronavirus, but we also got to deal with murderous hornets. So it's just like I'm freaking out internally, but I'm trying to manage it, staying busy. When I heard about that that hornet, I immediately thought of insectors. I was like, oh no, <laughs> insector hornet and insector dragonfly, they're coming back and they're going to pop all my cards on my fields. That was the phobia that I got. I don't know about you. I don't know if you saw the memes going around with um people who are just like, we're having these hornets because Weevil's like mad he lost to Yugi or something. Weevil's a great character. I loved Weevil. There's there's every locals that you go to, there is a Weevil there. <laughs> you're gonna get your Rec Raptor, you're gonna get your Weevil, you're gonna get your Joey Wheeler, you know, you get all the characters, all the classic characters. Only if we had a Mai, I'd like one of those at every locals, but you know, like that's not how this game is built, unfortunately. If if I were a character in a show, I would be the character who played plants. I guess I would be Akiza, because that's the only plant duelist I know from any of the shows. But I've been I've been gardening. That's my that's my escape. So for the last month or so, I've been going to this garden near my house, and I uh, I've been putting some some gardens together. And I I love like nature, just chilling. I've been driving the tractor around, and I live in like suburban Long Island, but there's this big open land full of plants and trees that's private and it's closed out to the park. But I'll just go there by myself. I have the key to get private entrance to it and i'll just uh you know i'll plant things and it's kind of surreal serene so oh nice yeah that sounds pretty cool yep so uh, that's what i've been up to other than that i finished my college coursework i am graduating so i am happy to be a full-time duelist now i have graduated from duelist duelist academy i have graduated from obelisk blue congrats man congrats it only gets scarier from here. Only gets scarier from here. What do you mean? I can't just sleep in every day and sleep until 11 p.m. like I've been doing? Or 11 a.m. 11 p.m. That'd be a long, long sleep. But Listen, the older you get and the further along your career path you go, the less sleep you get. That's just how it works. You know, I have to say... Darnell works as hard as anyone in the business, so I have to, you know, take it from him. I try, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I do a couple things. That's your motto, right? Work harder? For the most part, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, Darnell's been doing a lot of work for us lately. Uh, if you get, if you guys didn't catch episode number two with Darnell, that was his first episode. Uh, he's the creative director for Bamani Lounge. So, uh, yeah, great to have Darnell as our co-host. Now, Darnell, let's start talking about the show a little bit. We're going to do a couple segments here today. We're going to start off about talking about adaptation in the game. We're going to talk about how decks adapt as they face big ban list hits. Then we're going to go into the meta discussion, our normal meta discussion, talk about the decks that are being played right now with the new Eternity Code set coming out and where the meta is going with that. And then we'll finish off with a Road of the King. We're going to travel the Road of the King, Patrick Hoban's book. We're not talking ban lists? I have that down. <laughs> uh, we can talk ban lists. I'm always down to talk ban lists. Well, so we'll, we'll talk a little ban list. I, that'll kind of go in the conversation when we talk about how decks adapt because we're going to be comparing it to one of the decks in the meta right now, which was Animancipators. Animancipators, of course, with Block Dragon, um, you know, being rumored to being banned or being at least anticipated to being banned. So we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about the meta and we'll talk about uh, Road of the King. We're going to talk about a section from Road of the King called Side Decking, just basic how to side deck and you know, where I see a lot of players go wrong with side decking. So, and we'll compare it to a lot of current side decking options, like, you know, Dark Ruler No More, Nibiru, a lot of those kind of cards. So, uh, yeah, Darnell, a lot of fun things to talk about in this episode. So, let's get it started. So, first off, what deck do you think, what deck was hit where you thought it had no chance of being good again, and then it continued to be good again? Full power Goki, because when it initially got the hit of uh, what was it? The the one nightmare uh, nightmare goblin. Yeah, personally, I thought it wouldn't be able to extend any further, and the boards that people were ending on at the time, I saw, I thought was was not strong enough, so I abandoned the deck at the time. But after that, it continued to be like really good, and people kept adapting and being like nuttier and nuttier with its end result so like i'd say that's one deck i thought once it was hit i was like yeah i don't think it's playable um the numerous sky striker hits take your pick it, it took like three four hits and i was like yeah you know that's that's the other striker from there but no it just kept going until obviously engage was hit but yeah off the top of my head i think yeah off the top of my head like those two come to mind sky strikers was an interesting one because Sky Strikers was limited to the number of cards that they had made for their archetype. So the difference between Goki and Sky Strikers was that Goki had every warrior card in the card pool, whereas Sky Strikers really just adapted to the cards that they had for their deck. So an example of that was when, you know, Kagari got limited to one, they had to do they had to be a little bit more liberal with how they use Kagari. They had to adapt. The, they used multiple um, Eagle Booster. They used Shark Cannon, of course, to bring back your opponent's Kagari in the Mirror Mash to get more Kagaris off. I didn't play the deck, so I didn't know the ins and outs as well, but I know that people did a really good job adapting. And then, of course, they, they did use some trap cards, like There Could Be Only One was a very popular card in the meta just because it was so good against Salomon Greats and Orcus. So... Yeah, Sky Strikers was definitely one of those decks to adapt. And you also mentioned Guki. Yeah. So what do you think? Yeah. I also want to add in Salomon Greats. Because after the Stalio hit, I thought it was 100% over for that deck. And it's still topping for some weird reason. 
Oh, that deck is good, especially with the new fire with the new exceed dragon card. It's really good. Um, so what do you think? What do you think made those kind of decks over the top to where the point where to the point where it could get hit and then still come back to be one of the best decks? I think the core. I think those decks getting hit obviously was to bring it down the power so that you could actually play against it a little more. But the core strategy of those decks was intact for the most part after the hits. So players just had to get creative and find a way to like work around the, the limitations that they had. So like, the, like I mentioned before, the initial hit, the Goki, I didn't think the end result was as good as it was going to be after the Goblin hit, but it turned out to be actually be really good. So the end result of the extra link was still a thing with Goki and still very possible. So I think that's why people continue to play it and it survived that ban list. And it took for Firewall to be hit the core thing that made the entire deck work to be taken away. Same thing with Sky Striker. The core part of it was Engage. Engage is the best card in the deck. And it took for that for it to go away for Sky Striker to finally fall from grace. And yeah, I kind of want to say this Salad is still playable because they have Gazelle. If Gazelle was to be taken away, Salad is dead entirely. But I'm still surprised that deck is grinding in any type of way or capacity right now. But I think as long as the deck is still able to achieve its core function, its core win condition, then it's still playable to some extent. You still have one multi-faker, Darnell. That is true. And three judgments, like I said last time. So Altergeist is very playable. Very playable. So like those decks may like raise may like raise or fall down the tier list, but as long as they can still achieve like their win con, like they're still playable. I agree. So what I think is true about these control decks, like Sky Strikers, Alter Guys, anything under that kind of tier of decks, I think what they are so good at is they can maximize their engine cards. And then they could just fill in traps with missing pieces. So, you know, if you have your whole engine ripped out, obviously there's a certain degree where you can't recover anymore. But I think what Salad was really good at doing was like, all right, we lost our rank three spam toolkit, but now let's just turn it around to make it more of a control deck where we'll put on pressure with our fouls and our falcos and our buffalos, and then we'll just add in a bunch of hand traps, like defensive cards that do a good amount of work for us, and we'll just focus on playing the grind game. So I definitely like how decks can adapt. I think that's very important. And I think that there's sort of an overreaction when it comes to players and ban lists, because I think there's a lot of times where people are like, if X card gets hit, X deck will no longer be good. And I think that since we've seen hits from decks like Gookies, where it's combo-oriented, where a lot of their key combos got stopped with Goblin, people don't realize that not only are there alternate win conditions that they can go for, there are also new cards that always come out to benefit these kinds of decks. So an example would be like with Gookies, when uh, Goblin got banned, eventually Firewall got banned. You know, those were... Even though they weren't starter cards, they weren't like in their opening hand, they were enablers because they allowed, enabled the Goki deck to go farther and have a higher ceiling. But then all of a sudden, you saw cards come out like Neo Space Connector, and you saw uh, Topologic Gumblar Dragon come out, and then the shift of the deck, foc the, the, the focus of the deck shift 
to uh, just ripping cards out of your opponent's hand. So a lot of times people don't realize, yeah. And even like sticking on Goki for a second, that deck at some point actually evolved into the Dark Warrior deck. And then they were trying to lock you down with Rongo. So it's still kind of like the same concept as extra linking, you know, like Rongo's on board, you can't play. Actually, you get extra link, you can't play. So like they still are able to achieve that win con of like my opponent's not going to play and I'm just going to sit on this board. Yeah. And we saw the exact same thing evident with combo Thunder. You know, Thunder got hit a couple of times. It got hit with the dangers. It got hit with Eclipse Wyvern eventually getting banned. It got hit with, of course, eventually Colossus got banned, which made the Thunder part of it kind of irrelevant. But the the Dragon side of it got extremely more powerful. Of course, LP was still legal. Even though Agapane got banned, you still had LP and Pisty. You still had Red MD. You still had the prize card for a while when Thunder Dragons were legal. And then eventually it just became Strikers, you know, sorry, Rockets, uh, where uh, they went into Striker Dragon and they, uh, you know, they continued their plays. So it was still very explosive. And we still have that, uh, that deck. We still have Rockets in the meta. So, you know, decks evolve over time and they adapt. So when do you consider a deck not play, like 100% not playable in a competitive sense? Because like, and obviously any of these decks that we mentioned can still be played on some type of level despite drastic hits to it. So from a competitive standpoint, when is it that the hits are enough that this deck cannot be played or shouldn't be played? Well, I think it has to go along with efficiency's sake. Like, for instance, even though Sky Strikers kept on getting hit and, you know, multi-roll went to one, as long since that card was just legal, it wasn't banned, it had the ability to reset their resources, which no other combo or sorry, control deck had. So therefore every other control deck was inferior to Sky Strikers. So like if you had Altergeist per se, or another control deck like Evil Eye, like those decks, they just weren't at the same tier as Sky Strikers because they tried doing the same thing, which is stopping your opponent and then taking control of the game turn by turn. They didn't have the same luxury as having a multi-roll. You know, it's the same thing as spell books. So I feel like as as those decks they get hit, as long as they still have that key part of their deck, like I think for Sky Strikers it was multi-roll. It was also Kagari. Of course, Engage was big, but now that even that Engage is banned, you still have multi-roll, you still have Kagari. So the deck is still okay. Obviously, Engage hurt the deck a lot. But I think to answer your question, I think it's when that key factor of having a huge recursion play or getting two for one. It's like, those are huge. When it comes to combo, I think it just has to do with accessibility. You know, how consistent is your combo and how much can you access it and how, how versatile is it? So for instance, you know, Rockets was so good because they had a bunch of one card starters with Starliage and going into LP. And then eventually the Rock deck took over just because the Block Dragon was such a huge bomb card that resolving it allowed you to do a full combo like ridiculous so uh let's start to talk please just one final thought so basically when you're when your deck becomes fair is when it's not playable anymore fair is when it's over yeah that's correct uh because there's always something unfair in the meta you know i think right now we're lucky to not have an ftk in the game i think ftks are the worst thing but if you don't have an FTK in the game, your deck is 
generally considered pretty good. And I like that even the, the, the combo decks that are making unbreakable Exodia boards, you can still Dark Ruler them. So there are checks and balances to the meta right now. But as soon as a deck becomes fair is when it's not competitively viable anymore because you're always looking for that upper edge on your opponent and players will continue to look for that upper advantage and they won't stop until they have one. So there will always be unfair cards in the game and there will be un- there will always be unfair decks. Unbanned Firewall. He didn't deserve it. No. <laughs> We were never we were never unbanning firewall. That's not what this is about. <laughs> anyway, sorry I have issues remembering that card. Let's talk about the current decks in the game right now and how we can anticipate them getting hit. Now I have two right off the bat. I have Black Dragon getting banned, and I have Moon Glacier getting banned. So First of all, you can tell me what do you think of those hits, and then you could also add some more potential bans to your to the ban list that we have hypothetically in the air right now. Okay. Well, you said Black Dragon, and what was the other one? Moon Glacier, the the Mermail card. It just says you can summon it if you have five exactly five waters in the graveyard. You can special summon it from hand. It's also searchable after goons. And it rips two. It rips two? Okay. Yeah, that, that has to go. That's totally unfair. No, no, no. That, that 100% has to go. I, I hate that card. Um, Those are the only two bands I have right now, but uh, you could also talk about any other cards that you think could potentially be hit, and then we'll talk about how those decks would adapt. I'm going to get to it. But Moon and Glacier, I think, has 100% has to go, because if Gumblar can't exist, that card shouldn't be able to exist. So that's my whole stance on that. Um... What was the other one? Moon Glacier and Block Dragon. I think that 100% has to go to just going with the amount of matches I played against Ad Emancipator. There's plenty of times where I get them into a corner and just Block Dragon just comes through and just gives them the resources they need to get back into the game. And it's just like add three rocks to your hand from your deck is totally unfair. Not to mention they can chain block it too. So you can't even ash the the block dragon effect at times so i just think it's just too free and just helps that deck and their strategy like way too much and it, it obviously i think the deck is still very playable if you were to hit block dragon but at the same time i think it'll be a little more grounded and a little more manageable to play against if they weren't able to just like go off within the their resource game like that right so when it comes to these two cards when it comes to at emancipators for instance with block dragon I have this stance where, oh, everyone's saying, you know, once Block Dragon gets banned, the deck is done. I don't think that's true. Because the reason why blocks or rocks or ad emancipators, whatever you want to call them, are so good is because the the deck has great starter cards. They have Researcher, they have Seeker, and they're all emergency teleports in a sense. As long as you hit a non-tuner level four lower uh, rock monster you get a free summon you get more and more free summons black dragon is very good for recovering from nibiru i think that some of these defensive cards i'm not saying nibiru is going to go to get banned or anything like that but i think we'll start to see some of these defensive cards kind of go out of the meta but regardless of what we see with that I think that the the deck has enough enablers 
to play the game. They also have insane extra cards, and I think that any deck that can use in-engine extra cards where they don't have to draw them for to be good is very good. So they have Galagranite, which can search any rock card in the game, which all you have to do is wait for another broken rock card to come out, and then this deck is broken again. Then you have the level 6 Synchro, the Wind one, which can special any rock that you mill off of it. You could also summon the level 6 Fire, which can add any Adamantipator card, including the spell. The trap card's not bad either. A lot of people right now are playing this deck all gas, no breaks, but you could also play this deck like a control deck with more hand traps. You could play the Adamantipator Trap, Adamantipator Relief, allows you to tribute any Adamantipator monster and destroy uh, any number of Adamantipator monsters and then destroy that number of cards plus one. And then you could continue to adapt, make it more of a control deck. But as far as the combo version goes, the options are still endless. You still have Union Carrier plays, you still have Auroradon plays with the Mecha Phantom Beast Link, you still have the level 8 Synchro made for your archetype that can negate a spell or trap if you have a water in the grave as well as bounce cards up to the number of cards, the number of rock cards you excavate. So the deck has a lot of options still. So I have a hard time seeing this deck not be good. What do you say, Darnell? No, I 100% agree. In fact, I totally forgot about the, the in-archetype synchros that are actually like really powerful because I've seen some builds that if you disrupt them enough, they actually fall back on that and just sit on the synchros and those are problematic in, them, in their, their own regard. So yeah, like I mentioned before, I think if you were to take Block Dragon out of the equation, I think the deck is still 100% playable. And just like we've seen from combo decks, that initial hit doesn't really kill them. So you've seen that, like I mentioned earlier with Goki, the initial hit didn't kill the deck. Uh, you've seen, before Nibiru came in, you saw the initial hits to Danger Thunder, but I think a lot of people stopped playing Danger Thunder because they were afraid of Nibiru, and you saw it kind of fall out of favor with, with the, the promo cards. But yeah, combo decks have... a same thing with Salas, that initial hit didn't kill the deck, and they, they kept playing. So, like, yeah, like, I don't think Block Dragon hitting that will kill the deck at all. Not at all. And just like every point you mentioned, I think it's very playable. There's a lot of avenues it can take, and it still has adaptability. One of the reasons why I personally invested into buying this deck, I, 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 played, I picked it up myself, even though there are not any IRL tournaments to go to. So, in essence, I'm not really using the cards but I did want to have them, A, because I think the deck is a fun deck. I think Black Dragon adds a little bit of degeneracy, so it's not as viewed as such. But I think I like to play decks where any broken card could come out and the deck is good again. So, for instance, with Gokis, you know, they didn't really have Black Dragon or a card like that, but they had a lot of other broken cards they could utilize, like a Sold was an enabler that everyone thought should be banned. But they the entire warrior engine. But like as soon as Connector came out, the deck was good again. And all it took was a good warrior monster. And all this deck takes is a good rock monster. Like we saw the fossils come out. I don't know. Did you see the new fossil cards? Yeah, I've I haven't really dived into it like that, but like I saw like the posts about it. There's one that's a that's a foolish burial for any level four rock. So just want to put that that out there. Oh great. Hmm. <laughs> but I think they made a level four or lower rock for a reason, but the deck is going to be good. And 
I, either way you you cut it, I think the deck has Gal granted it has so many ways to search the researcher, the seeker, Gigantis. Like they have good extenders. Gigantis is a good card, and like the deck is so generic to rocks and even Earths with Gigantis and Black Dragon. So I think yes, will 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 we see Black Dragon eventually be banned? Yeah, I think so. But on the flip side, I think that doesn't do anything as far as the deck starter, starting hand. Like, you don't want to draw Block Dragon. You search it in your combo, but it doesn't hurt the consistency of the deck necessarily. It just changes the line of play that you have to use. Of course, you have a little bit less of a recovery play, but you can still end up with the same broken boards that you could before, for the most part. I agree. Uh, now, when it comes to a card like Mulling Glacier, Mulling Glacier is not really an enabler. It's just another card that puts on pressure. The reason why I think this card should be banned is because of the new Deep Sea cards. A, Deep Sea Diva is at three. They also got three more copies of Deep Sea Diva with the new Deep Sea Aria card that searches Deep Sea Diva or Dragoon or like any level any level four or, or lower sea serpent by bashing a water in your grave. So the deck is super consistent right now. It has like nine one-card starters, nine two-card starters, or two-card combinations that you could that you could open that starts your play the same way. The deck is really powerful. I'm just not a fan of hand-looping, hand-ripping. It just, I, I don't know. It's just... It's not an FDK, but it basically is, just because your opponent can't play the game. They don't have any resources to use. So I think Moon Glacia ought to be banned just because when it was created... Links weren't a thing. Synchros, I think, were kind of new when it came out. I'm not sure exactly when it came out, but it it wasn't super easy to put waters in the graveyard, so you had to actually manually discard waters off moving off of uh, Megalo and Teus to put waters in grave, and or you had to synchro off with Deep Sea Diva. So like the card wasn't created for links, and now that links exist, and we have broken ones like Halco Fibrox, that like one Deep Sea Diva is just a full combo like that's pretty good and then on top of that you just have Mulling Glacier which is searchable throughout your combo that just rips two more cards and cards like Dark Ruler Nibiru to an extent doesn't even really do anything against hand looping if anything it just loops one more card out of your hand if they do it correctly and there's not really a good there's not really a good way to combat hand looping like Maxi's not in the format they can play around Phantasme so since there aren't any natural counters to hand looping right now, like, you know, maybe impermanence, but that's not even optimal, I would say that you have to ban Mulling Glacier just because there are no natural counters to it in the game. It offers too much free advantage on your side, and it's searchable. So, and also with the new Deep Sea cards, I think this card is as good as gone. Now, is the deck dead? No, because the deck has so many other ways it can play. The, the, the hard part for Mermails was always the consistency. Now, we just recently got, like, six new starter cards for the deck. We got the three Aria, we got Minstrel, which if you pitch a Dragoons, it's like a starter card, and of course we have Diva at three. So these new Deep Sea cards offer so much consistency, also utility as well to the deck. It's almost like having more Dragoons. So it's very consistent. And the deck has never had a problem with making a broken board. It's having a problem with the consistency. 
So now you take a little bit away from the broken board that they make instead of ending on a savage and a, and uh, I believe they end on savage. They go through the mecha the mecha fan of Beastling. They go to savage, arc light, and they rip three. So instead of ripping three and arc light and savage, you rip one or two and you end on arc light and savage still. So I think that's still pretty good. Yeah, a little too good. Yeah, a little too good, right? A little. It's still not fair, but it's you know it's a little bit more fair. Speaking of Savage, uh, O Lion, Jet Synchron, one of those got to go, if not both. Yeah, I think that Jet Synchron, just because it's so easy to link it off as a normal summon, like you can just go. There's like a lot of different ones you can do. You can do. People have been doing a little relinquished animal link to steal a monster if that ever comes up going second. Link Karibo, Amirage, all these cards are viable. Right. So, and then that one card, they pitch a card for Jet Synchron, they summon another card uh, with the Mega Phantom Beast, as you mentioned. It just, they summon it off of Aurorodon, and they can special it back. They synchro into Savage with the two level three tokens, and they summon another token from the Mega Phantom Beast. They go chain link one Savage to attach, chain link two Mega Phantom Beast to summon a token, so you can't even, like, do anything to it so it's it's very hard to play around this strategy and we've been seeing the uh we've been seeing the eldritch deck as we kind of transition to that next segment in our show we talk about the meta we talk about the machine eldritch deck that's been playing three jet synchron three tuning to get to their jet synchron and multiple ways like one for one to summon it so they basically go into this whole combo where they go normal summon Jet Synchron. They link it off for Relinquished Anima. They summon back the Jet Synchron. They pitch a card. Usually like uh, Eldritch Trap. That's good to pitch. And then they'll, they'll go into Halco Firebrax and they'll summon the, you know, they'll summon another tune of the Jet, the, the Despot Jet. They'll go into Auroradon, summon tokens. They'll bring back Jet. Synchro into another guy. Like, it's just... It sounds like you have a splashable synchro engine and it's a splashable synchro engine. And we knew that Needle Fiber or Halco Fibrax was gonna be a good card when it came out. But I think, you know, Konami did a good job at hitting cards like Glow Bulb and at the time we we're like we don't really we weren't in the whole loop with Halco Fibrax. I don't pay much attention to OCG as much, so I wasn't aware of how good the deck was. But I think that we have to start balancing these tuner synchro enablers until we address Halco Fibrax directly. Do you agree? No, a hundred percent. Cause uh I've seen I've seen a lot of decks out there that they all have that splashable like engine in it. And you see needle fiber coming out, you know what they're probably going for. They're going for Savage or Crystalline or or uh the the Arc Light. So it's just like I and we we knew this was coming too. Like we knew the generacy was coming with the release of Needle Fiber to TCG. Like I don't know about you, but I was low key hoping that card would never come. But we all know we we eventually get it someday. It just depends on like what format. It would be more efficient for Konami to hit the enablers or the the end board. So like, do you think they would ever do something like ban Savage Dragon or like ban a card like Arc Light? Like, banning Arclight, like, it doesn't seem like it does much. Banning Arclight doesn't seem like it would do much, but in the end, there's no other card that does what it does, where it's like you can link, you can synchro off that level one 
with that level three that's very specific, you know? So that arc light, you know, that goes a long way. So I think arc light could potentially be hit. You know, you would have to hit a lot of cards. Like if if they hit Jet Synchron, if they ban Jet Synchron, they would probably have to do something to the neck of Phantom Beast. Then and also any monster that would go from the hand uh, to the graveyard or from the deck to the graveyard gets banished instead. So that hurts Mermails like ripping their strategy. They can't pitch a Dragoons without it getting banished. So Mermails has to first attack the the Herald to get over it. And then like if they try to attack it, then you know, someone has IP, they can, you know, go unicorn, shuffle back the card they were attacking with. So there's a lot of like layers they have to get through. I don't think the cards on the end board are worth hitting. I think you gotta hit the enablers and the extenders. Like that's just my like personal opinion on that. Cause I mean I Yeah. Cause I mean We've seen like from like prior results from Konami. Konami doesn't like the word splashable. So just the fact that those cards will enable you to put those end results in almost any deck, I think that's what you have to go for. Because Herald of the Arc, like nobody was playing that before this. Like, besides maybe Necros. So it's just like, yeah. So I, I think you have to hit the the in-betweens. The end the end board is not what the problem is. Right. I agree. I think that unfortunately, Halka Firebrex just comes with the added, the added pressure of having to make adjustments to the ban list no matter what you do. So you're gonna either have to ban a Synchro or ban a Tuner, and Konami knew that they were gonna choose the Tuners. I mean, you already saw them go this route, right? It wouldn't make sense for them to ban like Cobalt, but then also ban like Savage. Like they've already started to hit the Tuners, so they're gonna continue to hit the Tuners. So I agree. I think in the end, you know, you'll see Jet Synchron being banned or maybe, I'm not sure limiting it does it anything. It just makes the normal summon engine a little bit less consistent. But overall, I think that, you know, even if these cards get hit, we'll talk about adaptation. It's just, you know, how many broken tuners are there in the game sort of thing. So like, if people gravitate maybe towards summoning Despot 003 to summon 001 from the deck and make you know, fiber that way could be good, you know? There's a lot of ways you could go with it. So, we'll continue to see. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know. In fact, there might not even be a ban list for a while. Who knows if they'll even come out with a ban list. They said no sooner than June 1st. That could be pushed back. There is no nationals to prepare for or to adjust the ban list for. There have been no regionals. There's no regional tops. Technically, Black Dragon has had no success in the last couple of months because there has been no tournaments to have success at. So Konami sanctioned tournaments. Konami sanctioned tournaments. Of course, we talked about online tournaments last week. Uh, we've had those once in a while, including the Mania Lounge tournaments every Wednesday and Sunday, starting at around 8 p.m. on EDO Pro. You can check us out on the Discord link in the description below. Sound good, Darnell? Sounds 100% right. Let's, let's move into the next segment of the show. Let's talk about the meta. Now, the current meta, I've been on Dueling Book and I've been on EDO Pro. A lot of, as we said, the Machine, Eldritch deck, people have been playing that. People have been playing, of course, at Emancipators. I've seen a lot of Mermails lately, which is one of my favorite decks. I love Mermails, but I don't like the degeneracy that has come with 
the hand looping thing. I think the deck is supposed to, you know, make powerful plays, but I don't think it's supposed to just rip your opponent's hand. That really wasn't the focus point of the deck. But, you know, obviously Moulin Glacier exists. The Deep Sea cards now have come out, and they are ripping cards out of your opponent's hand. So, right now, the strategy is to try to play around Nibiru, make a broken board, do it with as least as as less resources as possible, and still have cards in hand. Obviously, like the the Eldritch deck is trying to normal summon Jet Synchron. Out of that one summon, they also pitch a card from their hand, so it's like a two card combo where they just end on Arclight and Savage, and then they also have like three or four cards in their hand to continue to make an Eldritch play. So that's a, that's a deck, and then you have the invoked version of Eldlick. You have Adamantipators, Mermails, as we said, and then it's kind of up in the air between you know like Shadals, uh, Salomon Greats. What do you think the best decks are now? I think Adam. Obviously, I, I'd say Adamantipator, Eldlick, uh, Shadals is still really good, as you've proven in our previous tournament. Uh, <laughs> Um, dinosaurs, of course, that that can't be forgotten. Dinosaurs could do a lot more now, especially with Halka Firebrax. I didn't realize, and there's also the new dinosaur card, level one. I forgot the name of it, but it's basically on some, and it can just search the uh, the, the double evolution pill. It's a shiny boy, yeah, yeah. Dinos are really unfair. Dinos are very good. I, I've never been a fan of dinos just because they're more of a going second deck. I think they can also afford to go first. They can still go first and put up a pretty intimidating board. They can set up UCT. I think uh, actually with Halka Fibrax now, they can end with like a Savage or some kind of negate where they can get through turn one and then they can just OTK turn three. Yeah, no, 100%. A deck I want to talk about because no one is playing this deck. I've been talking with my friend Elias on the Bamani Lounge team and... We look at Orcus. Now, Orcus just got this new card, Orcus Mech Knight Gursu, or Gursu the Orcus Mech Knight. I'm not sure the exact wording of the name, but it's the new card. It's $100 on release. It says when it's normal, when it's summoned, you can just send a, an Orcus or a World Legacy card card from the, from the deck to the graveyard. And then if there are, if it's the only monster you control, you can summon a token, and if there are two other cards in the same column, it's also a tuner. It does way too much. It does so much for the deck. Now, we'll talk about, you know, how much better is it than like say Scrap Recycler, which used to be played. Now Scrap Recycler had the added benefit of being a scrap. You could go into the scrap link and then you could summon the brick, the golem, scrap golem. Golem could bring back Recycler. You get another add. You sorry, you get another dump. You also get to pop a card with the Wyvern. So there was a lot of efficiency that came along with playing the Scrap Engine. Also came with playing a Brick. But now we have Gursu. Gursu does something different where it's good right out of the gate. It does a lot of things. It's probably more susceptible to Impermanence just because it's just it, you can't go into the Scrap Wyvern with it. But it's also an Orcus card. So you can just go right into Galatea with it. So there are, there are cons of it, and there's also pros. I think the pros outweigh the cons. 
But what's so good about the card is it's also a mech knight. So you can search it off of Blue Sky and Purple Nightfall. So there's now a new way to play Orcus. Normal special summoning Blue Sky from your hand is now a one-card Orcus combo, just like Mermaid used to be. So the deck is... Doesn't it also give like Mech Knights the ability to go first as well? Besides, like, the Invoked Engine? Yeah, it does. I mean, you can summon that token. They can use that token to go into Link Spider. That's, like, a one-card column. If you have, like, a Spell or Trap, you can just summon a purple, tag out, uh, search, like, a Gersuer, another Gersuer or something. So, you have a lot of... What are you doing, Konami? I thought we were over Orcus. You have a lot of options. So, let's talk about this deck, because I have not seen this deck once yet, which is weird. I, I'm sure it's out there. A lot of people are probably playing it. I haven't seen the... I haven't seen the Mech Knight version, though, at all. And I think the deck is good. It's just, you know, the Mech Knights put on a lot of pressure. You can go into Lib, the New World Chalice Link, which allows you to set a World Chalice card for your deck. When it's linked off, you can shuffle any card, non-targeting removal from your opponent's field. So there's a lot of added benefits of playing this card. Now, how do you think that the new Orcus deck stands up to the, the deck's that are sort of in the meta already, like the Adamantipators of the world, the Eldlicks of the world. I think it, even with the support, I, I don't know if it stands up to Adamantipator as Adamantipator is right now. I just think that deck is too too unfair with its combo potential at the moment. Um, I think it, it should be able to definitely grind against uh, Eldlick because even with Golden Boy's Send Effect or Conquistador's Pop Effect, Orcus wants to be in the grave. So like... I think it could definitely grind against that deck. I'm not sure which will come out on top. I want to lean more so towards Eldic, just because I think the recursion engine of their spells and traps is just too good. And eventually, if you play the right cards like DD Crow or anything to like hit their graveyard, I think it etches it out just a little bit. But I I, I could be wrong. But that's the way I'm seeing it play out in my head. Mm -hmm. Well. I'm going to say this, referring back to our Patrick Hoban discussion last week on last week's episode, if you guys haven't seen it, make sure you go back to watch it, but I'm referring specifically to the section of our last episode where we talked about who's the beatdown, and I think that Orcus is one of those decks where it's certainly one of those high ceiling combo decks where, you know, it can choose how to manage its manage its resources very effectively and it can also convert a high amount of its resources resources to removal so they can cap what i'm trying to say is they can capitalize on their resources with a card called dingersu so dingersu is just a generically good send non-targeting removal effect that's still in the game i think eventually if orcus continues to be good i can see dingersu potentially getting banned just because of how good it is and Orcists, like, normal summoning a Gursu, even if they have impermanence, like, if you have any extender, you can just go right into Galatea, and then you go Dingursu, send, attack another card, you also have a protection. Like, it's so good, it's so efficient. So I think just having that that inherent advantage of having Dingursu in your action deck, as well as, of course, Galatea and friends, like, that is so good. And that's why I think, like, the, the deck's main advantage is that it gets so much advantage out of the extra deck. So it's like, 
my five cards against your five cards, but also have 15 other extra deck cards that could also combat your five cards. So it really depends on what non-engine cards that the, the beatdown deck, being Elvick in this example, draws. I do think that it could be a 50-50 matchup, but say Black Dragon gets banned and maybe Adam Emancipators is still relevant, but it's not the best deck. Maybe you see Orcus start to climb back up that ladder and become that best deck that it once was. If you have these two decks, the, the Eldrick deck, which I don't think will get hit at all, and then you'll have Orcus. If they clash, I think it could be a 50-50 matchup. What do you think? I, I, I agree. I think it definitely can be 50-50. Because I just... Orcus, to me, it's just... It's more so its ability to grind. So, I don't know if you remember, like, uh the original build of orcus with the phantom knights and it was just like really unfair to play against like that combo went off yeah like with with mermaid and everything if it comboed off you were you couldn't stop it you were pretty much losing that build i could say would definitely beat eldlick but the builds we saw after that yeah i think it'd be more so 50 50 because like dangerous was great but how good is it until i golden boy send and then no more dangerous do you know what card Whenever I see Orcus being good again, I, I think of, hello, darkness, my old friend, and then I pull up Alancia, and I'm like, yep, this card is good again. <laughs> I'm going to play this card. That hits Eldic too, though. It has Eldic. I think this card would be the card of the format, so pick up your secret rare artifact Lancias while you can. I think this deck will, will definitely be good again. I think that unless they hit this deck to pieces... You know, if they say they banned Ingersu and they banned Nightmare, that's the only thing they can do where I can see this deck not be as powerful. But as right now, they have so much consistency with an added normal summon as well as broken extenders with the Mech Knights. And again, you can still play Dangers, you can still play a lot of hand traps, you can play hella draw cards with three alert, three return, three popper up. Like that sounds pretty good to me. What do you think? No, 100%. One thing I do think is that Scarlet Sanguine should go to one. Oh, we'll see. I mean, the deck is still super new. Uh, I'm not really sure how they'll hit. Nah, it's got to go. Really? You think so? I think Scarlet's got to go. Maybe maybe to like one or two, but not like banned or anything. Nah, not banned it, but like I, I, th I think it's got to hit. We'll see. I, I don't think they're going to add anything on Secret Slayers right away. I think that they'll let Eldrick be good. I think Eldrick is going to be good for a long time. Uh, there's there's one player at our locals, at well, not our locals, but Gaming Universe in Flushing. There's one player who plays True Dracos. He's been playing it for however long it's been out. Like, like he got it like the day it came out. And I, got, I always get so frustrated because he would do like, so well over years of the deck being good and you know he's still playing it and I, like when this, when i saw adam at, when i saw elvick rather i just picture him buying that deck and then he'll just be using that deck for the next three years it's just like one of those decks is that kurt no it's not no kurt, kurt has also played true draco for a while though all right no uh that's my man yuki at uh at uh gaming universe but he's been playing that deck for a while but uh yeah it's like one of those super reliable decks where it's like i can see one or two cards may maybe going down in numbers but it's so like there's a lot of starters the they have a lot of just generically good cards and then if they have one or two cards like scarlet get hit they can just fill those in with trap cards 
like compulsory or the new bottomless trap or the new trap hole card like so good that trap is so good oh my goodness it's going going straight in ultrageist yeah so i mean there's a lot there's a lot of options but i think right now we're gonna see adamantipator and elbluck and then we're gonna see this sub tier of like dinos orcus you know maybe a couple of your uh your Ultrageist being mixed in there, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But no, the deck's gonna be good. You're still gonna have Shadals in there. I think that deck is like kind of slept on. We're trying to have people forget about Shadals because I'm playing Shadals, okay? I am playing Shadals. We don't want people to know that Shadals are still good. You know what I also think? What? Alistair to one. Yo, I'm pro Meltdown to one. I, I think Alistair, yeah. Uh, well, the thing about Meltdown is that it's searchable off of, like, you know, terraforming and and one and, uh, set rotation. But it's just, you know, it has an added, added benefit of not being able to respond. So I can see Meltdown going to one. You can only not respond to the fusion summon. That's not like a huge deal. Well, you can't negate the fusion summon, and then after the monster is summoned, you can't activate cards or effects until the resolution. So if I fuse my Shadals and I activate Beast and Wendy, you can't respond to that. But I feel like Alistair is like the whole enabler. He's the key part of all that. And I feel like by taking him out, you take away the consistency. Because like with multiple Alistairs, you're also able to grind too. So if it's at one, you can't really play Desires. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I can see that. It could go either way. The reason why I'm siding towards Meltdown going to one is because of what they did with Trickstars. It's a very similar card where it's like it's on activation, it adds you a card, but it also, once it resolves, it also has another broken effect. So I think it might go to one just to follow the light stage treatment, but I could also see the Alistair going to one. It really depends. Okay, okay. Not mad at that. I want to ask you, do you see any other decks like with new future support coming into the meta? Obviously, Eternity Crow just came out. It's sort of, you know, brand new, fresh. We don't even have it yet in North America just because of the coronavirus. So do you think there are any other decks that could surprise us in the next month or two as we head into coronavirus format? I would have said ABC if Dragon Buster hadn't got hit on the last list. Um, I think I low key think Trap Tricks is gonna do better. Like that Grave Digger card does a lot, and it's searchable for them. It does. That's pretty good. Um, I'm gonna give you one of my sleepers, Thunder Dragons. I think Thunder Dragons is a very good deck. I've been playing it on rated with pretty good success but what's so good about thunder dragons is that it has titan in their extra deck and titan is just a generically good card and it also has the versatility with the protoplanet link you could send thunder dragon fusion which is also broken because not only are you copying the effect but next turn you'll get a search off the thunder dragon fusion you could also send uh, super polymerization for going second and that card is really good so having titan is obviously very good in a diverse format, which I would argue what we have right now. Also, even though Colossus is banned, 
you can still go into Union Carrier, Summon Thunder Dragon Roar, and attach the the Buster Dragon from the deck where they can't special summon from the extra deck. So instead of having a Titan and a Walking Mistake, you have a Titan and a Walking Valley's Emptiness for the extra deck or a Walking Domain. So the deck hasn't really lost a lot as far as it's like turn one board and it's kept all of its consistency. If anything, it's gotten more broken extra deck cards. Okay, so the new Nemesis. Well, all the, all the Nemesis cards have the effect where they can target a banished card uh, from the hand, special summon it, and shuffle the banished card back. The reason why that's so good is obviously Thunder Dragons banish a lot. This, there's also a Thunder one, and it also activates in hand. So even though it doesn't sound that broken because, like, Colossus is banned, it, it used to be a, like a one-card Colossus, but now it's another card to trigger Titan. It's another in-hand Thunder effect. That can proc your effects like Titan. You get 300 attack for for a Dragon Duo, but it's just a good Thunder Extender that just allows you to go into more late monsters. So I think the deck has, you know, it, it has some pros and cons. Obviously, right now not having Colossus is kind of hurts the deck. Like I, I have like my mini Thunder Dragon board, and like my opponent went. And he was playing Elvlick, and he searched, like, six cards, and I was like, rip Colossus. But, like, when I go against Adam Antipaters, like, Colossus doesn't do anything there anyway, because, I mean, yeah, they search Black Dragon, but a lot of their cards just special from hand. So, like, having that extra deck, uh, that domain up is, like, pretty good there. So, it really depends what you're playing against. So, you have to just, like, you have to prepare for those... When you're, when you're adjusting with, with, with a deck like Thunder Dragons, you have to just prepare for those weaker matchups like Eldlick. I want to respond to that, but I'm about to be super unprofessional and go to the bathroom right now. Okay. Give me five seconds. Sorry, audience. Wait, did you stop recording? Yeah, for a little bit. Oh, you should have kept it going. Just kept talking to people. Oh, no. <laughs> are going you should have been like oh this loser he's so unprofessional <laughs> why is he using the bathroom so donnell just took a bathroom break and you know it just ruined the whole momentum of the show so i might as well just leave or should we just do this final segment listen i play subterras i'm all about ruining your momentum all right so let's get into the final segment uh we have this book it is there's two books that i read habitually the holy bible and Road of the King by Patrick Hoban. So, Patrick Hoban has some great ideas about the side deck, and we'll put up a little graphic on the screen. Um, Darnell, when it comes to the side deck, the most common thing that I see that I hate is like when people play three evenly matched, three Dark Ruler No More, three Lightning Storms, and three Nibiru's. Like, that's, like, the most common side deck I see. And as a result of that, a lot of players overside. Like, they'll put in their whole side deck for a particular matchup. And this whole chapter, well, it's, like, a couple pages on why that's, like, not correct. And ever since I read this part of the book, starting on page 346, it's really educated me on how to view my deck as a whole. And not just say, oh, in order to win this game, I have to put in 12 cards to beat Altergeist, you know, to have three Lightning Storms and three Evenlies and three, you know, all this and that. I prefer cards that overlap, 
that have multiple utilities and then just allow me to play the game. So I'll get a little bit into what Patrick Coleman talks about in Order of the King about side decking, and then we'll have a little bit of discussion about it, all right? So the side deck, uh, again, starts on page 346 for those of you at home who have the book. Uh, so he talks about functions of a side deck. So the functions of the side deck are threefold. So the functions are the ability to play the game, countering your opponent's strategy, and making their cards dead. So when it comes to most modern-day side decks, now again, you could argue that the game has changed, but really the fundamentals stay the same. You still want to be doing multiple things with your side deck. And right now, it's just very, you know, one-dimensional where you're just trying to blow your opponent out with one card, you know, with the Evenly or the Lightning Storm or the Dark Ruler, which some of those cards are very good to play, but I think you need to have a mixture of, of kind of roles within your side deck. And in order to accomplish, you know, the, the functions mentioned in this chapter of the book. So the ability to play. So what is this about? So the ability to play means that assuming that you're playing the best deck, you want to just be able to play the game. So an example that Patrick Holman gives, you know, if your opponent, if you're anticipating your opponent siding in a card like Skill Drain, you might want to side in Mystical Space Typhoon to counteract their Skill Drain. So when we talk about an application that could be close to this, you know, obviously there are more bombs in the game right now, like Lightning Storm and Evenly Matched. These really are, you know, they're bombs in that, you know, they need to have, they, they need to require your opponent to have, you know, a lot of cards for them to be good. But, you know, that's obviously happens a lot. But what do you, what do you think about playing cards like evenly compared to cards like Mystical Space Typhoon, where you might not win the game off of one card, but they're always going to be live. Rather, like, sometimes you can't resolve Nibiru or you can't resolve evenly matched. What do you think about the controversy there? Do you think people should still play cards like Cosmic Cyclone or Mystical Space Typhoon or like Book of Moon as opposed to Lightning Storm? With stacking your side deck with cards that, with multiple cards that kind of do the same thing, especially if you know you're, you're preparing your side for matchups that your deck is inherently weak against. So if you're inherently weak against back row, I see nothing wrong with maybe three evenlies and three lightning storms as long as you know like as long as you have you're aware and cognizant of the cards that you're gonna take out to put in those cards so it doesn't screw up your ratios too much or disrupt the way your deck is naturally supposed to play i don't see wrong anything wrong with like doubling up on cards that both do the same thing because like you want to open it you want to increase your chance of opening it as much as possible especially if you're going into game three but at the same time i think when you start talking like okay i need and I've seen lists like this before, too. I need three Evenlies, three Lightning Storms, three Twin Twisters, like absurd stuff like that. Where it's just like, what are you taking out for those? And even if you wore the blood at deck out, can you even play afterwards? So I think it just comes down to like how your deck actually functions. But personally, I think six is like the where you should shoot for in terms of like what you're siding in. Really correct. Uh, and Patrick Hoban gets more into that in the book. But... What I see a lot of players do, and there are people that win with this strategy, but I think that's just because everyone does it, so eventually someone who does it will win. But like what, what Hoban always did, and I always watch his deck profiles from a couple of years back, he always played like one or two copies of a card in his main deck, and then he would play the third copy in his action, in his side deck. And and he would be like, yeah, this third Forbidden Alliance is for when I go first against Fire Fists, or when I go second against Mermails, or something like that. 
And I always respected that strategy. So instead of playing cards that, you know, so we're talking about the ability to play the game. So in pl instead of playing cards like evenly matched, I would always start with cards like Cosmic and then work my way to the point where if I needed evenly matched, I would add evenly matched. Because there's a lot of formats where players don't commit to having full boards where we're talking about back row. And even just the threat of having an evenly matched, like say, I have my hand, and I don't have evenly in my hand, but I call battle phase. Now my opponent's thinking that I have evenly matched, and they might preemptively activate some of their floodgates. And if, say they, if they preemptively activate uh, an outlet card because they don't want it to get banished face down after they resolve it, you know, they want it to go to grave. So this way I can hold my, my, my cosmic for a floodgate, like say they have, or maybe they have judgment set. You know, and this way I don't have to give up my battle phase because they're going to say end of main phase. I'm going to activate some traps. So like, all right, that's fine. So, you know, I try to work backwards with that. I don't assume that I need a bomb card. I assume that I need, you know, a utility card. Like Cosmic Cycle is very good. Mystical Space Typhoon in certain scenarios is good if you have, like, a card that you want to pop on your own field that's, like, pretty okay. Like, if you want to pop your own Cosmo Towns, you get a search. Like, in that instance, maybe MST is a little bit better. but Cosmic is pretty much like the bread and butter when it comes to, you know, spell and trap removal. And I love that card for a card that allows me to play the game. If I'm playing against back row, if I'm worried about Mystic Mind, I'm putting in a card like Cosmic Cyclone. What do you think about that? I think your line of reasoning makes a lot of sense. And it's... So I I haven't looked at it like that before because you do get a bit more flexibility with a card like Cosmic. But I yeah. think... And keeping the conversation, like, I guess, siding for back row, to be honest, I think a lot of players are just scared of back row, if I'm perfectly honest. So I think... They don't know how to play around it. Yeah, I think they go that aggressive route just because it's the easiest way to deal with it. They don't have to think about it too much. But, yeah, looking at it in that regard, because, like, you, you, if you think about it, Lightning Storm and Evenly kind of do the same thing. They yield the same result. They blow out the field. But at the same time, like like you mentioned, that may not be what's most optimal. And maybe you just need Cyclone to just, I guess, pick at them or just like slowly outgrind them. Because like you said, they might set just the one card or the two cards and it's not worth using the evenly for that. Mm -hmm. and, and and we've had this, this discussion in our group chat before where it's like a lot of these new bomb cards, they come up with some restriction like Lightning Storm, for instance, you can only use if you have no face of cards, which... It's pretty dead after turn one, so you need to open it for it to be good. And, you know, Cosmic can be used at any point in the game. It's also a quick play spell, so you could set it going first, and, like, say your opponent activates Hidden City, and you could just chain it to Hidden City and banish their Hidden City, or, like, Meltdown. Any of those examples really is works, or Mystic Mind. So, and, like... Even though those cards have a much higher payoff, though, because let's say you do come across that scenario where they set five pass, then it's just like one cosmic, it's not going to do much. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you don't automatically lose the game because your opponent can't attack you for game with defensive cards because they have to put on their own pressure, they have to start their own engine. But I think there's a balance where it's like, I think Twin Twisters is obviously one of the better cards where it's like it takes out two cards at once. You know, you could play very skillfully into them. Sometimes pitching a card is very good. So I think Twin Twisters is still a very good card, especially in decks like Orcus, decks like that. I think when it comes to the ability to play, I feel personally that I want the card that's consistently going to do its job. 
obviously evenly is not bad it's it's pretty good lightning storm i own lightning storm it's an expensive card and i choose not to play it because a lot of the times i i feel like there are cards that does the same thing as lightning storms but it's it has more applications so for example if, if mystic mine is in the format and i'm scared of mystic mine going if you're going first lightning storm doesn't do anything towards mystic mine and then if you have cards on the field it's a completely dead card so i would rather have that cosmic where i could draw it at any point in the game and that's just an out to mystic mine i don't have to think about it at all it's always going to be good and unless i'm in a time situation in irl it's always going to be a card that i could use so it's utility versus a blowout yeah i i look at you i look at the, the i look at consistency as a two-dimensional thing so a lot of people look at it as just you know how many car how many times will you open this card i also look at consistency as how often will this card be good and a lot of times when it comes to cards like nibiru and evenly matched and lightning storm like those cards sometimes can win you the game but i feel like it's an overreaction a lot of the time because a sometimes your opponent is good and they don't play into them Sometimes it just doesn't win you the game. Sometimes they countersize specifically for cards like that. So, for instance, if you have Lightning Storm, your opponent has like Awaking the Dragon, where Awaking the Dragon wouldn't have done anything if you had Cosmic, you know, things like that. Or anti spell. Or anti, yeah, exactly. So, there's so many, like, there's so many well known cards that people use to counter back row, and then the back row players are, you know, back row players aren't stupid, contrary to popular belief. Like, Back row players, <laughs> back row players know what they're doing. They know that people are siding in evenly. Is that correct, Darnell? No, hundred percent. I have cards on my side deck just for evenly or just for lightning store. <laughs> like, as soon as I take game one, wow, I lose to this card. Let me side a card that's good against it. Exactly, exactly. Like, or even like a card like Red Lotus or something. Like, I could just rip the lightning right again. I love that card because it's just like, all right, wow. Uh, like your opponent says, end of battle phase. Uh, let me call a pointer of the red lotus. Let me call evenly match? Question mark. Like, let's see if that works. You don't have to even call it. You just look at their hand and rip it out. It's so unfair. Yeah, you don't even have to call it. I'm, I'm thinking of mind crush. Like, lol. But uh, yeah. So when it comes to the ability to play, um, I love to have cards that it's like very averagely good. Uh, Paleozoic Dynamiscus. Now it's a trap. You have to have it like kind of going first, but. I played Thunder Dragons. I got top four at uh, Brooklyn Regionals back in September. I played three Dynamiscus in my deck, and it was the best card. Is it was so good. Like I hit like Mystic Minds, like a dinosaur player. It's so good because it hits any face of card. So I banished like my opponents, like Dinkirsu. I banished like Altergeists. I banished uh, again Mystic Mind, uh, any kind of Floodgate. And it was such a good card. Like, it's not, um, like, you're not going to probably resolve it against, like, a full Ad Emancipator board going second. But going first, you banish their normal summon. That works. You say they Mystic Mine you, you banish the Mystic Mine. That works. Like, there's so many ways. So, does it automatically win you the game on activation? No, but it's always live. So, that's one of my favorite non engine cards to play in the game right now is Dynamiscus. So, when it comes to countering their strategy, that's the next function of a side deck. There are three. So the first one was ability to play. The second one was countering their strategy. So when it comes to countering their strategy, Patrick Hoban says that you should only counter your their strategy if 
they are playing like the same deck as you, if they have a, uh, as high of a ceiling as you. If you are playing a deck where you need to play side deck cards in order to counter their strategy, then you're playing the wrong deck. So an example that he gives in the book, if you're playing Necros in Necros format, you shouldn't have to play Shadow Imprisoning Mirror for Shadals because your engine should naturally beat the, the, uh, the Shadal engine just because of how unfair it was. So you should just be playing cards that counter the specific cards that interact with your deck. So El Shadal and Ordalatis, I don't even know how to say that. It's the water Shadal fusion that prevented uh, ritual summons. So you should play cards like Rageki or Dark Hole to destroy the Anidolatis. And you should, and then they also played Mistake in their deck. So like playing MST for Mistake. So being very specific, uh, Patrick Owen talks about being very, very specialized. We should start our main deck with be, by playing cards that are consistently averagely good and then playing more specialized cards for decks that we might have a hard time with. So for instance, you know, if I'm having um, a hard time against Shadal's, you know, playing a kaiju for their window, you know, I don't have to necessarily play like dimensional barrier to just stop their fusions from happening. I can just kaiju their window and then I can just continue playing the game. Right. And I, I feel like that kind of falls in line with some of the level of thinking I have with my side deck. Cause like you mentioned kaijus and Kaijus are just like an overall like good utility card that can just come into play with like so many matchups. Mm-hmm. Even like in this current meta, like if they don't have the way to resurrect them, you kaiju the the golden lord. Like you turn off their whole back row. Back when Sky, when Sky Strikers was tier one, you know you you kaiju the. Fun fact: I I I love playing Book of Moon because I would Book of Moon the Golden Boy. People thought made fun of me for playing Book of Moon, but I was like, that's fine. You can make fun of me all you want. I book a moon, the golden boy, and then it doesn't go to graveyard, stays face down on the field. You need to have another mon- you have have another um what's the one that's special from the deck? Uh Sanguine. Sanguine, yeah. You have to have another Scarlet Sanguine to, to special another golden boy in order to have your back row be live. So yeah, so I, I, I love Book of Moon and it also had good application against other decks, obviously. So that's another example where it was good on average. It never won you the game outright, but it was good on average. So when it comes to countering their strategy, you know, say you want to build, beat the Eldritch deck and you're playing a Graveyard Reliant deck and you consistently lose to Aquero, maybe you want to play like, you know, you want to play cards that stop your opponent from just banishing your stuff with Aquero, you know, or just, you know, holding your, your Cosmic or your MST for Aquero, you know. So... Uh, which a lot of times you know where their sets are because they set them off of their other Eldritch cards. So if they set their Aquero off the the Conquistador, you'll just Cosmic the, the Aquero. So uh, yeah, that's like a good example, I think. So when it comes to countering their strategy, you should only worry about what specific interaction you lose to, not just, you know, playing evenly, you know, to bash all their, 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 their back row, you know, just finding that one thing that beats your deck and trying to overcome it and just you know uh that's pretty much all all you have to do how do you feel about like side deck cards that hinder your opponent from playing but also keeps your engine off because like as we're talking one card that comes to mind that you see in side decks at times is inspector border and i see a lot of players arguing should i play don't 
should I play Inspector Board or should I not? Because like, yeah, it can give me, it can lock my opponent out, but I can't turn my own engine on. So like, how do you feel about like cards in that vein? Well, I think uh, when when it comes to Patrick Hovind's philosophy, you know, he believes in playing combo decks. So obviously, you would never play it in a combo deck. But if you're playing like a control deck, like say Alter Guys, I feel like you want to dedicate your normal summon to your Mellow Seek. So say you have Mellow Seek in hand and you have Inspector Border, right? Or if you want to compare it to the current format, you know, you're playing, you know, Elblick, you know, you're going to have some kind of normal summon, whether it be Alistair or whether it be, I don't know, Curry Bandit or whatever kind of, maybe you're playing the Prophecy Engine. You always want to give yourself more cards. That's another Patrick Hoban philosophy, rather than take away cards from your opponent. So unless you're playing a deck that doesn't have a good normal summon, which every deck should have a good normal summon, like with with Inspector Border specifically, I don't really see it being good. Like um, Danko Saka was good because it, like it was a good normal summon in the Shadal deck. Like way back when Shadals needed a good light, it was a light. It you know stopped, it turned off opponent's back row, and it allowed you to just resolve your Shadal fusion, which allowed you to play your game. So that was that was a deck called Danko Dolls, and they just re- relied on Danko stunning out back row, and then just activating the uh, Shadal Fusion. When it comes to Inspector Border, I feel like, you know, there are not many engines. I guess if you're relying on your back row to win you the game, which back in the day, that would never be a concept, but I guess now that technically the Elder Traps are also monsters, they do convert to monsters. So, perhaps if, if, it, if your hardest opponent, if your hardest matchup is say combo and you're playing Elvlick, then maybe you would just to get over that hardest matchup. And then if it allows you to play the game, then I would agree. But if you're playing it just for the sake of stopping your opponent, then I would say to back off from it. Gotcha. No, that totally makes sense. Also, um, I was just getting into it. Another rule of thumb is that if we rely on a floodgate to beat an opposing deck and cannot consistently beat it without the floodgate, we are playing an inferior deck. So if you're relying on having that inspector border face up on the field in order to beat your opponent, you know, and if you don't have it, if you don't have it, then you can't win, then you're probably playing the worst deck. So we can use floodgates to help us, but we shouldn't be playing any deck that loses when it doesn't have the floodgate up. So that is also a very important concept. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, important to consider cards that stop our opponent if we're playing a deck that has a hard matchup but if we're relying on this card then it it, you know it becomes like maybe we're not playing the right deck so if if seeing a side deck card like border or there can only be one or uh, i i don't know like uh imperial iron wall or something like that is your only way to beat like a particular matchup you're saying that the deck you're playing isn't good enough for the format yeah, like if you're if you're relying on like specific side deck cards to beat certain matchups, uh, or or just like decks in general, then I think you're probably playing the the worst deck. Like Patrick Coleman says that your engine should ninety five percent like win you the game. So you definitely want to be you know thinking of how to convert your engine to beating your opponent. So we'll get that in a second when we talk about citing extra deck cards. But I want to talk about the third function of a side deck, and that is making their cards dead. So 
Patrick Hoven goes on to say, another function of the side deck is to make their cards dead. When citing hate for a matchup with comparable engine strength, we should attack what they are not trying to beat. So if they are, if they put in mystical space typhoon to counter the royal oppressions and the, the royal oppressions they expect us to side, we should be siding vanity's vanity's fiend because they're not trying to counter it. So an example of this is in my Thunder Dragon deck that I got top four at Brooklyn. Everyone was trying to get over Colossus, but no one was trying to get over Backrow. So I cited two cop or three copies of Trap Trick and two copies of Eradicator. So the Trap Tricks would get me to my Eradicator or my Dynamiscuses in my main deck, and I would blow them out with Eradicator. No one was trying to get over Eradicator. They were just trying to beat the, the Colossus that they were expecting me to put up. So obviously, while the Eradicator wasn't searchable, it was an alternate win condition that my opponent had no response for. And in fact, every single one of my opponents, they always like took out their mystical space typhoons and you know all of their back row hate because they were trying to side in like kaijus and other other ways to counter my colossus. So it's definitely like or or Lancia. So like there was no real answer to Eradicator, and I won so many games from Eradicator. In fact, like I ripped it evenly with it. I, I put it in going second at Catskill Regionals. I, I blew out like five traps. Two there could be only ones from a true Draco player. Like it was so good. And there's definitely some merit to like thinking about what your opponent is trying to do to you and then doing something adverse that they don't expect that you're trying to do to them. So it's always like counterplaying the counterplay is very important. So I learned something at that regionals when I played Eradicator. I learned that it's when you're when you do something that your opponent's not expecting, that sort of uh, that virtue of surprise, it catches them off guard every time. And you you need to have some sort of blowout in your deck that works with your engine that your opponent doesn't suspect. So um, making their cards dead is a big one. So if everyone is playing evenly matched in their main deck or their extra deck or their side, their side deck, um, you know, maybe play one card that's standalone good by itself or maybe set a couple cards. You know, it, it comes with the territory of being in the format and knowing what the cards are in the format and then playing around them. Time Wizard beats everything. Just side three copies. So I'm going to talk about one more aspect of the side deck extra deck cards and then there's another subtopic called countering public knowledge so extra deck cards i have done here and there my friend elias and i have had multiple successes with citing extra deck cards so right now uh an example would be you could side trisbania because what a lot of people are doing is they're playing anti-magic arrows and they're making, they're stunning all of their opponents' back row, and they're siding Trisbania. So this way, since they don't have the extra deck space, you know, in the side deck, they can just side deck one Trisbania and then use their engine to go into it and then banish their opponents' back rows. So it's like having, as you know, it's like having another way to, you know, bomb your opponent without having to draw a card. Like, you don't have to draw the anti-magic card, the anti-magic arrows for the Trisbania to be good, you could, you know, just turbo into it, and then, you know, you could just continue playing your game. So another instance of this was 
you know, like when rank four spam was popular, people would play number 82, it was the Rhapsody card, or it was a number 80. I, I, I keep on forgetting, but it was, it was two level fours, and you, you could detach one to bash one from your opponent's graveyard. And that was really important in the Necros mirror match. So, like, people would side that for that matchup. People would side Karen Gorgon for specific matchups that targeted. And Patrick Owen always did this. Like, if he played a bunch of rank fours, he couldn't fit. Like, he played, the, he sided the second dweller. I knew a couple of solid players that sided the second dweller, and it would be really good in the mirror match. And the reason why siding extra cards is important is because you don't have to draw them for, for them to be good. And you're not ruining your consistency. You're not ruining your engine cards. You're not ruining uh, the consistency of your deck. And you're still doing what your deck does. But at the end of your play, you could have more options to have some sort of interaction that deals with your opponent's deck better. So I definitely have had some success. I know it's sort of a foreign concept. Uh, also, a Cyber Dragon, that's another thing. People used to cite Cyber Dragon to go into the Chimera tech or Chimera Fleet, to uh, contact Fuse extra cards. So that was another popular, uh, that was another popular extra side sideboard. Also Super Poly, people side Super Poly targets. That's not bad, but that's not really, that was, that requires you to, to draw the Super Poly. Uh, but what's really good is if you're playing a combo deck, you can just side these, you know, cards like Topologic, Trisbania, to counteract, you know, back row, which is very good. Uh, or, like, in a rank 4 deck, you could side um, Tornado Dragon. So, you know, instead of having to draw the MST, you could just go Tornado Dragon, pop a spell or trap. So, anyway, Darnell, um, yeah, that's really all I have left to say for the podcast. Is there any shout-outs that you want to give before we end our third episode? The only shout-out that matters to the Bomani Lounge community uh, you know, if you haven't checked us out, this is your first time discovering anything we've done, any of our content, be sure to check the links in the description box for links to our Discord, our Facebook group. Uh, there you'll find a community of just like awesome players that are ready to help, people with accolades, people who enjoy the game casually, people who just are just there for each other. And, you know, it's a really awesome community and it's growing every day and we'd love to have you guys a part of it. Um, yeah, be sure to check us out more on YouTube. You know, if this is where you're watching this podcast or if you're listening to it via audio on spotify or apple music you know check out the video version of the youtube and check out our content on youtube in general you know we've got irl duels we've got uh some flaws we've got deck profiles all kinds of stuff like that so yeah and a lot more awesomeness to come stuff i guarantee you haven't seen in the Yu-Gi-Oh community so yeah definitely and as always feel free to leave feedback we're still pretty new to this whole podcast thing so we want to you know, do it together. It's our journey. And for those of you that are listening to the early episodes, we want you guys to be the OGs. So this way we're at episode 45 or episode 273. We'll remember you guys. And, uh, you know, if you have any feedback or comments, suggestions, we'll be sure to keep that in mind. And you guys can also talk to us directly in the Discord, uh, the Bamani the Lounge Discord, which we could also leave in the description below. So anyway, guys, uh, this is Henry and Darnell. Signing off from the Shadow Realm Podcast.